The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zulsdorf and another podcast. We welcome as our guest today, Thomas G. Wynandy, a Capuchin theologian from the United States. He gave a forecast for the Church's unity and doctrine if things keep going as they are going. Now let me just say from the beginning that if you hear some noises in the background, that's just Rome, uh, where I am as I make this podcast. Now at the ever more useful web publication, The Catholic Thing, we read a piece by the Capuchin theologian Thomas G. Wynandy. It's entitled, Pope Francis and Schism. Now the one who's going to make these comments has got some real theological chops, uh, he was in the Secretariat for Doctrine for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was uh, he was well known for having criticized a dreadful book about the Trinity by Sister Elizabeth Johnson of Jesuit-run Fordham University in New York. And in uh, in 2011, he gave an address to the Academy of Catholic Theology in Washington, D.C., in which he puts his finger on a serious problem today. And I quote, Theology may be the only academic pursuit where one can seemingly be considered a theologian without actually having to know the subject matter. Going on, it would appear at times that a theologian need not actually know God. And, uh, describing the crisis uh, of theology that we're in today, uh, Father Renandi said, Much of what passes for contemporary Catholic theology often is not founded upon an ascent of faith in the divine deposit of revelation as proclaimed in the sacred scriptures and developed within the living doctrinal and moral tradition of the Church. I think that's a good state of the question about theology today. Uh, in 2014, Wynandy was appointed by uh, Francis to the International Theologic, uh, Theological Commission for a five-year term. That's up this year. It'll be interesting to see if he's reappointed. Um, Wynandy did resign from his position as a consultant to the USCCB and its Committee on Doctrine, after he wrote a letter um, saying that Francis is fostering confusion in the church and uh, giving the idea that that anyone who speaks their mind about this or makes a, a criticism will be, quote, marginalized or worse. And um, I think that we are seeing some of that happening even today. Now, at the Catholic thing, when Andy has his uh, his brief piece, Pope Francis and Schism, and I think it's an important article. And I talk about this, even though it was a little published a little while ago. I keep coming back to it in my mind. I keep thinking about this article by Wynandi and how important it is, and what a great thing it was for the Catholic thing to offer it to us. And I, 
I, today I make this podcast on the heels of two other important things I heard. Um, well, yesterday, uh, a talk by Roberto De Mattei here in Rome at the presentation of the new book by Athanasius Schneider, the auxiliary bishop from Kazakhstan, increasingly important, and um, also Bishop Schneider's own talk at that presentation. It's kind of a turning point. I keep coming back to why Nandi is, is almost like signaling the turn as we come up to the corner, which is the turning point. It's a very thoughtful piece, and, and its conclusions are provocative, since they are going to describe something that we haven't seen before in the church. Now, of course, we have seen um, strange things with various popes in, in the history of the church. We've seen schisms. We've seen all these things before. We can have a historical perspective about them. And uh, granted, there are times when there were even anti-popes. Wynandy is not saying that Francis is an anti-pope. No one is saying that here. But uh, in you know, for the sake of this, uh, we have to understand how there were anti-popes in the in history of the church, and even great saints such as Bernard of Clairvaux backed the wrong guy. Uh, you know, they they got several saints got it wrong. So holiness isn't necessarily a guarantee of twenty twenty ecclesial vision. When you're right up in the middle of the scrum and the mud is flying and you're reaching for the ball and you're pushing and you're shoving and all this kind of stuff, it's a little hard to see what the whole picture is. So Wynandi isn't saying in any way that Francis is an antipope. On the contrary, he fully affirms Francis' office. What he argues is that Francis as pope and those around him are taking the church into a direction that you would expect from an antipope. He describes what he calls an internal papal schism. That is a kind of separation from tradition and doctrine while remaining within the structures of the church on an official level and not on a renegade level. And this is something that's really quite new. It's very disturbing. Now, as you listen, tune your ear for the following. Because there are some out there who really do want schism to take place. That is, there are some on the left and the progressivist side that want Catholics of a conservative and traditional leaning to lose their heads and do something schismatic. And so Wynandy points out that that's not going to come from the United States, uh, these progressivists and the group around Francis, whom I uh, refer to as the new Catholic Red Guard in honor of the old cultural revolution. Now, they want someone to lose their head and do something crazy. But that's not going to come from the United States. If anywhere, it'll probably come from Germany. But it's even not going to come from Germany because what happens is that the left always wants to stay within the structures to give them the legitimacy that they need uh, for their overarching project. An overarching project, which I think, is to change the church into, a, into an NGO. But I digress. Let's get back to what you should listen for in Wynandi. He makes a point about how the Red Guard, as I just referred to, the strange team assembled around Francis, uh, don't engage theologically. Instead, eventually, they resort to name-calling and intimidation and exertions of power. 
Wayne Andy po- points to a series of events which, if they continue on this course, will lead to what he identifies as, there's a, here's this term again, an internal papal schism, whereby we see a pope who is pope, but as, is also at the same time the leader of an element in the church which truly is schismatic. So you have the, the <laughs> forgive the irony, the appearance remains while the substance changes. The substance of the Pope's office wouldn't change. But you get you get my point. What we have is within the official structure, you have strange things going on. While the people who are being pushed to the peripheries, called schismatics and so forth, are actually the truer, faithful element within. And, of course, there's a terrific risk in such a thing, too. Especially if the people who are faithful start to be you know, very self-referential and thinking that they themselves are the only true church. This is the diabolical thing about this because it's within the official structures which we can never separate ourselves from that you're going to find all the odd things going on. You see how, how very different this is. Well, finally... Wainandi discusses the role of the laity, and this is an important point, because clerics today are going to be more and more, and this is my commentary here, clerics today are going to be more and more subject to Stasi-like surveillance and repression. Um, the role of the laity, he, uh, he concludes with, and that's, a, that's something for you to turn, tune your ear to. So let's hear uh, Thomas G. Wainandi and his... Peace at the Catholic thing, uh, Pope Francis and Schism. Pope Francis and Schism by Thomas G. Wynandy The Church, in her long history, has never been confronted with the situation like the one in which she now finds herself. Pope Francis recently spoke of a possible schism within the Church, a schism that does not frighten him. We have had many schisms in the past, he says, and there will be schisms in the future. So there is nothing to fear in the present. However, it is the nature of the present possible schism that is new, and this unprecedented new schism is frightening. One cannot help but think that Francis is referring to members of the Church in the United States. Francis receives from America his most theologically challenging and pastorally concerned criticism, which centers on a questionable remaking of the faith and of the Church. Such censure, it is believed by Francis' cohort, originates from within a conservative intellectual elite who are politically motivated, and many of whom are wealthy. Francis thinks that they are unwilling to change, and so refuse to accept the new work of the Spirit in our day. Ultimately, one discerns that he believes his critics are psychologically and emotionally impaired, 
and so must be dealt with gently, though that gentleness is yet to be experienced by those who fall under his vindictive abuse. He himself has called those who oppose him many insulting names. What Francis does not realize, and his close associates fail to grasp, is that the overwhelming majority of his American critics would never initiate a schism. They recognize that he is the Pope and thus the successor of Peter, and that to remain within the Catholic Church is to remain faithful to the Pope, even if it entails being critical of the Pope in one's faithfulness to him. Some may wish that an actual schism will take place in America in order to get rid of the obdurate conservative element and so demonstrate that they were not really Catholic all along. But that is not going to happen because those critical bishops, priests, theologians, commentators, and laity, more laity than Francis will admit, know that what they believe and uphold is in accord with Scripture, the Church Councils, the Ever-Living Magisterium, and the Saints. As has been often noted, Pope Francis and his cohort never engage in theological dialogue, despite their constant claim that such dialogue is necessary. The reason is that they know they cannot win on that front. Thus, they are forced to resort to name-calling, psychological intimidation, and sheer will to power. Now, as many commentators have already pointed out, the German church is more likely to go into schism. The German bishops are proposing a two-year binding synod that, if what is proposed is enacted, would introduce beliefs and practices contrary to the universal tradition of the church. I believe, however, that such a German schism will not formally happen either, for two reasons. First, Many within the German hierarchy know that by becoming schismatic, they would lose their Catholic voice and identity. This they cannot afford. They need to be in fellowship with Pope Francis, for he is the very one who has fostered a notion of synodality that they are now attempting to implement. He, therefore, is their ultimate protector. Second, while Pope Francis may stop them from doing something egregiously contrary to the Church's teaching, he will allow them to do things that are ambiguously contrary, for such ambiguous teaching and pastoral practice would be in accord with Francis' own. It is in this that the Church finds herself in a situation that she never expected. It's important to bear in mind that the German situation must be viewed within a broader context. The theological ambiguity within Amoris Laetitia, the not-so-subtle advancing of the homosexual agenda, the refoundation of the Roman John Paul II Institute on Marriage and Family, that is, the undermining of the Church's consistent teaching on moral and sacramental absolutes, especially with regard to the indissolubility of marriage, homosexuality, contraception, and abortion. Similarly, there is the Abu Dhabi statement, which directly contradicts the will of the Father, and so undermines the primacy of Jesus Christ his Son as the definitive Lord and universal Savior. Moreover, the present Amazon Synod is teeming with participants sympathetic to and supportive of all of the above. 
One must likewise take into account the many theologically dubious cardinals, bishops, priests, and theologians whom Francis supports and promotes to high ecclesial positions. With all of this in mind, we perceive a situation ever growing in intensity in which on the one hand a majority of the world's faithful, clergy and laity alike, are loyal and faithful to the Pope, for he is their pontiff, while critical of his pontificate, and, on the other hand, a large contingent of the world's faithful, clergy and laity alike, enthusiastically support Francis precisely because he allows and fosters their ambiguous teaching and ecclesial practice. What the Church will end up with, then, is a Pope who is the Pope of the Catholic Church and, simultaneously, the de facto leader, for all practical purposes, of a schismatic Church. Because he is the head of both, the appearance of one Church remains, while, in fact, there are two. The only phrase that I can find to describe the situation is internal papal schism, for the Pope, even as Pope, will effectively be the leader of a segment of the Church that, through its doctrine, moral teaching, and ecclesial structure, is, for all practical purposes, schismatic. This is the real schism that is in our midst, and must be faced. But I do not believe Pope Francis is in any way afraid of this schism. As long as he is in control, he will, I fear, welcome it, for he sees the schismatic element as the new paradigm for the future church. Thus, in fear and trembling, we need to pray that Jesus, as the head of his body, the church, will deliver us from this trial. Then again, he may want us to endure it, for it may be that only by enduring it can the church be freed from all the sin and corruption that now lies within her, and be made holy and pure. On a more hopeful note, I believe it will be the laity who bring about the needed purification. Pope Francis has himself stated that this is the age of the laity. Lay people see themselves as helpless, having no ecclesial power, yet, if the laity raise their voices, they will be heard. More specifically, I believe it will depend mostly on faithful and courageous Catholic women. They are the living icons of the Church, the Bride of Christ, and they, in union with Mary, the Mother of God and the Mother of the Church, will birth anew, in the Holy Spirit, a holy body of Christ. That was Father Thomas G. Winandi at The Catholic Thing and his essay, The Pope and Schism. 
Now, I think this is a good foundation for what you are eventually going to be able to read for yourselves uh, when it is translated and divulged at one media outlet or another, a talk that Roberto De Mattei gave at the, pres- the f- official book presentation of uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider's book-length interview called Christus Vincit, a very important book and an important talk. Um, in a nutshell, and I'm working from memory here, um, De Mattei underscored the importance of baptism and that lay people also have the aid of the Holy Spirit. And the sensus fidei fidelium can drive, at times, the faithful to resistance to official teaching authority when the authorities get their teaching wrong. What results is an appearance of disobedience when they are actually remaining obedient, obedient to the perennial magisterium, remaining obedient to the deposit of faith, rather than simply obeying and and tugging their forelocks to demonstrably errant notions of, of one person or of a few people. This apparent disobedience can come around because one obeys God before one obeys men. And so there is an obligation in conscience at time to resist and to appear to be disobedient. To resist comes from a well-formed Catholic conscience, which, as Newman, recently canonized, says, is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. We have to obey conscience, but a properly formed conscience. Now, De Matei, as a layman, uh, spoke about what it's like to be called uh, schismatic, or enemies of the Pope, simply because they raise questions and they resist and they they criticize things that are demonstrably open to criticism. Uh, He said that lay people too are obliged to refuse heresy, just just as they are obliged to refuse separation from authority. We have to always refuse heresy, we have to always refuse schism. That goes for lay people too. But if proper authority starts offering things that are heretical, then lay people, everyone, as a matter of fact, is obliged to separate himself, not from the person who falsely teaches, but from the false teachings. You see the distinction? It's not a juridical separation, but a moral separation. And it's done in service of the church. Remember, the baptized also do have a role in the church. Now, Dimitei spoke about the present suffering that a lot of people are enduring today. Faithful lay people suffer. For example, when they see the the exaltation of authority of conferences or, or synods or whatever, when they are on a collision path with very strange things, even possible heresies, lay people recognize Uh, the Pope's authority to teach, but they suffer when they hear strange things in interviews and in press conferences. And they don't just suffer, they also feel terrific indignation when they see things like pagan ceremonies 
that take place in the Vatican Gardens or the, the profanation of the Vatican Basilica with papal with pagan symbols. So, De Matei underscored that those who break with the truth are the ones who are leading the church into disunity, not the ones who defend the truth and resist the breaking of the truth. Now, lay people don't have the same role that priests and bishops do to teach and so forth, but they nevertheless still have a duty to defend the church's teachings and they have a right to defend the church and also to be heard. And so uh, I was thinking about what De Matei said in light of the uh, conclusion that Wynandi had it his in his piece at the Catholic Thing. And uh, since it was a couple of minutes ago, I'll just quote that conclusion again. He said, On a more hopeful note, I believe that it will be the laity who bring about the needed purification. Pope Francis has himself stated that this is the age of the laity. Lay people see themselves as helpless, having no ecclesial power. Yet if the laity raise their voices, they will be heard. More specifically, I believe it will depend mostly on faithful and courageous Catholic women. They are the living icons of the Church, the Bride of Christ, and they, in union with Mary, the Mother of God and the Mother of the Church, will birth anew in the Holy Spirit a holy body of Christ. Thank you very much for your time today, and please pray for me as I will for you.